Welcome to Countdown to the Rising. My name is Anthony Kelly and I will be your host. In this podcast, we discuss how cults are able to get people to commit such horrific acts without any remorse. This episode, called Mormon Love, is about Chad Daybell and Lori Daybell, formerly known as Lori Vallow. They are members of the Preparing a People cult. This cult has its strongholds in Idaho, Utah, Arizona, and Hawaii. This cult is a spin-off of the Church of Latter-day Saints of Jesus Christ, otherwise known as the Mormon Church. This group gained notoriety as Lori and Chad's two children went missing. Joshua, otherwise known as JJ, seven years old, last seen at, Rex at school in Rexburg, Idaho on September 23, 2019, and Tylee, age 17, at Yellowstone National Park two weeks prior. Their strange disappearance has led to quite the case being made about this cult. Not only is the kid's disappearance unusual, but there are further weird circumstances involved, such as Lori's ex-husband being killed by her brother in self-defense, but then shortly afterwards, her brother was killed. Not only two weeks afterwards of Chad's wife Tammy dying of natural causes in her sleep, Chad got married to Lori. My own personal involvement in the case would happen as soon as I started looking into this cult. That's when things got interesting, and I started to have skin in the game. So, Anthony, how did you get involved with the story? I first heard about it when I came home after classes. My mother, she asked me if I had heard about this uh, cult with missing kids, and I was like, no, I'm not aware of it. And then the more I looked into it, I'm like, wow, this is really interesting. This mother who's had, like, a couple dead ex-husbands and the cult leader, his wife died like right before they got married. And now all of a sudden two kids are missing. Cults have always been an interest to everyone, but it just, there was something about it that really kind of resonated and got my interest. How's the story process now? What happened was it started back in like December of last year in 2019 like december november around there when the kids first started miss going missing you wouldn't even believe tales of like these people believing that their kids are possessed by like slugs and worms and zombies and they think the end of the world's coming in july of 2020 it, it just turned in from like a couple missing kids with a sketchy parents into like full-blown cult activity in multiple states my interest just got deeper as soon as like the phone calls and the, the blowback from looking into it began. Oh yeah, speaking about the phone calls, when did you get them? Like what, what time in the day? So I followed them on Twitter and within like two hours, I started getting these weird phone calls and voicemails like one after the other. Hello, I'm Hank Hill. I apologize for yelling at you. I'm a boss, baby, they can dance like a man. I can shake a fanny, I can shake a again. I'm a tough shooting baby, I can punch your bones. Did you block the number or it's still like ongoing? They they tried to, 
but the thing is they were using tricks to mask it, but I was able to counteract it and block them. But when they realized that I blocked them, they just buy a new burner phone and call again. I haven't had any in a while, so. To figure out how the legal proceedings may work, I talked with Professor Gary Birdie of the Springfield College Criminal Justice Department. So thank you, Professor Birdie, for uh, sitting down to talk. Um, have you ever heard of the Chad and Lori Daybell cult? Could you say that again if I heard of the what? Chad and Lori Daybell cult. The cult, C-U-L-T? Yep. Um, no, I'm not off the top of my head. I'm, I'm sure I have as a result of my uh, my studies, but once you mention it, it may come back to me. Okay. Um, they're a cult that is based in a couple states like Idaho, Utah, Arizona. They're a Mormon-based cult. Uh, currently, they're in the news with two missing children. Okay, I got it. Now I do. Okay. And, yes, uh, I do. Yeah, so I was wondering how the criminal procedure would work because her case, they can't really have the people in the courtroom because the lockdown and everything going on. So how would that affect, like the case in general when they do go back to session? Wow, that's a really good question, and I'm sure a lot of people don't really know the answers. Um, I certainly don't, but I believe the way of figuring it out will probably happen afterward in the process of an appeal. Um, you know, according to the Constitution, you know, you have the right to face your accuser. There is precedent that under certain circumstances, you can do stuff through video, but also, what about a jury? You know, will there, you know, person has the right to be tried by a jury. Is there a jury involved? Um, I believe so. The only problem okay. is there's been a lot of like shifting around with people. So, like for example, both of her, two of her three attorneys, randomly recused themselves from the case. Like they said, we don't want to have to be her attorneys right. anymore. And then the judge stepped down because apparently. He, um, in Idaho, you can request the judge to step down, uh, once. You'll get, like, a free usage card of it, if you will. And apparently this judge had handled her, uh, child custody case in the okay. past. So there was also that conflict. Well, um, it sounds like it's a real mess. Sometimes people can take the current laws will say in Idaho and procedurally manipulate them in a way so that it gets so confusing or so delayed in justice that you can ask for a mistrial or a new trial. It sounds like that could be part of it. Plus Idaho is such a small state. I bet you everybody knows everybody. So that could seriously affect the case. Maybe not even allow for, you know, a, a you know, a conviction or a solid prosecution. Um, every time you change a juror or a judge, you uh, you put the case at risk for the for the concept of continuity, you know, and and consistency. Mm -hmm. So it could be a way of you know manipulating. It's like you know the dog ate my homework kind of thing. I don't have it, or I had it, but I can or I will. So that's interesting. Maybe it's a tactic, or maybe it's just because of the COVID nineteen and and the way of the world. I don't know. Now, where the case got media attention started not too long ago, where you can go all the way back to Lori's divorce with Charles. Charles Vallow was killed by Lori's brother, Alex Cox, in alleged self-defense. Cox stated that during an argument, things got heated and Charles came at him with a baseball bat, so he shot and killed him in self-defense. 
Lori backed up her brother's claims and made similar statements about the event. The interesting fact is that during their undergoing divorce case, Charles claimed that Lori saw herself as a god and that she was preparing the way for the second coming of Christ, and that if Charles got in her way, she said she would kill him and destroy him. He said he was in fear for his life. Coincidentally, Chad and his wife Tammy would have a similar event, where she would die in her sleep in October of 2019, but two weeks later, as mentioned earlier, Chad and Lori would get married. The ring Lori would use for her wedding was bought off Amazon, coincidentally days before Tammy's death. Her death was considered suspicious looking back on it now, and her body was ordered to be exhumed on December 11th, 2019 for testing of poisons. The thing is, they need to do it now since Chad refused to have an autopsy done once she passed. The results are still pending and yet to be released. Chad happens to be a key figure in the group called Preparing a People. Now we mentioned earlier in the episode that they are a spin-off of the Mormon religion, except they are a doomsday version. They believe that the end of the world will occur in July of 2020 and that they will have to prepare the way on earth for the kingdom of God. This evidence can be seen in Chad's emails where he discusses the allocation of resources for building white and blue camps during the end times for supplying resources essential for survival to fellow believers. These camps come from his fictional books, where white camps are for the purified believers, and blue camps are for those who believe but are not pure enough spiritually yet. Chad is the author of various books that discuss his near-death experiences, his visionary gift for being able to see the future, as well as being the writer of many Mormon apocalyptic doomsday fiction books, which is how Lori found out about him. While preparing a people denies sharing uh, any of his views if they do not align with the doctrines of the Church of Latter-day Saints, many within the group who wish to remain anonymous say that they have sympathies for Chad in his case. The issue is, however, is that they have had Chad on their show multiple times, as well as Lori, to discuss their own personal views. The Church of Latter-day Saints of Jesus Christ was asked for an official comment on the case. Rather than saying they wish the best, or that they'll pray for everyone involved, or even hope the kids are safe and sound, all they said was, there is nothing here to comment about. Speaking of the missing children, why don't we take a look at their lives? JJ, who is a seven-year-old boy diagnosed with autism, loved being with his grandparents. Ty Lee was similar too. She was a 17-year-old finishing high school and looking into colleges like any teen her age would. The location of the children is still being investigated. It's weird because of Lori and Chad's evasion of discussing the whereabout of the kids. JJ was enrolled on September 3rd, 2019 into his local school, but on the 23rd, Lori unenrolled him and said she decided he was going to be homeschooled, and that was the last anyone would see of him. The grandparents would call to talk to the kids, but noticed something was wrong with JJ. When he, when he spoke to them, they felt as if it wasn't him talking, 
but rather he was reading off of a card and being coached what to say. As time went on and the calls became scarcer, as Chad and Lori said the kids didn't want to talk to them anymore or weren't available, they kept saying this every time until they wouldn't even return calls or pick up the phone. Weirder things would happen as a babysitter would ask where Ty Lee was, and Lori told her that she was being enrolled at Brigham Young University. Coincidentally, Brigham Young has no records of her ever being enrolled. When asked by acquaintances where Ty Lee was, Chad told them that Ty Lee had died back in 2017. But we know this isn't true as she was last seen in September of 2019. Strange. So after all these incidences of the children not being able to be seen or heard from, the grandparents decided to call in the state to make sure they were okay. So when the police arrived, the children were not there, and it was only Lori present. She stated that the kids were fine and staying with, the relati with relatives in Arizona. So when the authorities went to the property where the kids were supposed to be, they didn't find them there. So they got a search warrant for the property. But in the meantime, Chad and Lori decided to immediately leave and go to Hawaii for their honeymoon without their children. This behavior isn't surprising as the day the kids were declared missing, Lori had a pool party at her place. Good evening, seven-year-old J.J. Vallow and 17-year-old Tylee Ryan have been missing for more than five months now, and their mother, Lori Vallow, still refuses to cooperate with police. She's been in Hawaii with her new husband, Chad Daybell, for the past several weeks. Now the latest Dateline episode is shedding new light on what happened to J.J.'s father and Lori's ex-husband, Charles Vallow. Our Gretchen Parsons has been closely following this story from the start. She joins us in studio now with another disturbing development, Gretchen. Well, Mark and Kim, as we've reported, Lori's brother Alex Cox shot and killed Charles this past July in Arizona. But now new details about what else Lori did that day and how she reacted is raising some red flags. Is he hurt or is he alive? Or... Yeah, there's blood. He's, he's not moving. On July 11th, 2019, Lori Vallow's brother, Alex Cox, called 911 to report he had just killed Charles Vallow, JJ's father, and Lori's estranged husband. I got in a fight with my brother-in-law and I shot him in self-defense. He came at me with a bat. Lori, JJ, and Tylee were all home at the time. As police questioned Lori, she didn't appear rattled or upset, even laughing at one point. How long have you lived here? Like three weeks. Oh, geez. Yeah, okay. That's why the neighbors don't know us. <laughs> gotcha. Like, hi, neighbor, sorry. Arizona detectives say throughout Lori's interview with police, she wasn't phased. Just, it was kind of like a happy-go-lucky. Um, she was just kind of smiling. She was talking about how Tylee was going to go to uh, BYU, Hawaii, and it was just a very, very nonchalant... You would have thought that we just, you know, recovered their stolen vehicle. Cox is shown here dabbing at a wound. He says he got after Charles hit him with the bat. It definitely didn't appear that he was struck with, a, you know, an extreme amount of force to a baseball bat. Charles was a, a very physically fit man um, and actually a former college ball player. So it didn't appear that it was a, a, a huge strike to the head. The same day Charles was killed, 
Neighbors say Lori threw a pool party. How can everyone be so calm and, you know, seemingly so unaffected? That's Tylee's aunt, Annie Cushing. She believes that what Lori and Cox told police was a cover-up. And because the children were witnesses, that's why they're missing. I do wonder with Tylee, if she was asked to toe the line to keep everyone out of prison. The day after Charles was killed, Lori told Charles's two sons from a previous marriage that their father had died via text message. I couldn't believe that she did that in that way. I mean, I wish she would have called me and said, can you please tell Cole? But to do it so brutal through a text was just, I mean, it was horrible. And of course, we know that Alex Cox, he died mysteriously in December. The results of his autopsy are still pending. You can find all of the reports that we've done on this case. It's now in a special section of our website at ktdb.com. The elements in this case continue to come in daily. Yeah. It is hard to stay with them, but we will continue to do our best to do that for you. It's just amazing. All right, Gretchen, thank you. Kids, are the kids okay? On Monday, Daybell was spotted visiting the Hawaii jail, where his wife, Lori Vallow, is being held on a $5 million bail. Lori Vallow, seen in this recently unearthed video, competing for Mrs. Texas in 2004, facing possible extradition to Idaho and criminal charges related to the disappearance of her children last September. I hope there is justice and I hope the children are found. And another twist. A court document alleging Vallow's niece, Melanie Boudreaux, knows where Tylee and J.J. are, but is refusing to cooperate with police. In the document, filed as part of an ongoing custody battle, Melanie's ex-husband, Brandon, seen here in this photo, also alleges Boudreaux is involved in a cult where numerous members, adults and children alike, have been being killed off like flies. Police say they searched Boudreaux's residence, located right next door to Vallow's home in this Idaho apartment complex back in November as part of their investigation. Dad, Lori, can you tell me where your kids are? For months, questions have swirled about Vallow's alleged involvement in her children's disappearance. Police say the 46-year-old lied to them about JJ's whereabouts when they conducted a welfare check last fall. And that she and Daybell left town the next day, fleeing to Hawaii, where she was arrested last Thursday. Police say Daybell received at least $430,000 in life insurance money after the death of his wife, Tammy, which is now under investigation. Authorities allege that was enough money for Daybell and Vallow to, quote, travel and hide from law enforcement. We reached out to Vallow's niece, Melanie Boudreaux, about the allegations in that court filing. We have not yet heard back from her. Meantime, Vallow right now being held on that $5 million bond. Her lawyers will once again ask a judge to reduce that bond during a hearing scheduled for this afternoon. Hi, everyone. George Stephanopoulos here. Thanks for checking out the ABC News YouTube channel. If you'd like to get more videos, show highlights, and watch live event coverage, click on the right over here to subscribe to our channel. And don't forget to download the ABC News app for breaking news alerts. Thanks for watching. This is where things start to get even more bizarre. Lori was found to be in possession of Tylee's credit card and spending it while she was in Hawaii. It gets even weirder. As the case starts to blow up and gather media attention, Ty Lee's friends seem to be getting texts back from her. They keep getting texts and responses and having conversations, but they feel like something is off. They keep asking her where she is and if she's okay, checking to see if their friend is fine. But the responses they get back 
are awkward and sound a bit off. So when the police eventually catch wind of activity on Tylee's phone, they track it down to Hawaii and think, maybe the kids are with Lori and Chad. Let's check. Well, turns out that wasn't the case. When they tracked the cell phone, it turns out it was Lori who was texting from the front phone and pretending to be Ty Lee when talking to her daughter's friends. So after this, Lori was extradited back to Rexburg, Idaho to stand trial for the desertion of her kids, obstruction of justice and contempt of court. I sat down with Professor John Yezzy of the Springfield College Psychology Department to discuss the case. So yeah, so um, the question I had was how um, how in the case, so one case in particular I'm looking at is with this cult. Um, it's a Mormon cult out in uh, Idaho, Utah, Arizona, Hawaii, and a couple other states. Um, they're a Mormon cult led particularly by these two people, um, Chad Daybell and Lori Vallow. Uh, they're in the news and the question has been like asked how they were able to like, how if they're in particular, their kids went missing, people think they're dead because there were some like emails that kind of indicated it. We often think of cults as like fanatics because they kind of develop these beliefs that to an outside world seem highly irrational, but within the world is rational. So if, you know, you said, I think you said her name was Lori, right? Yeah. So if Lori is totally sold on the belief system that is built within the cult and her kids were not operating under that and did not abide to it, she might've seen them as violating that which could have led to the acceptance of the child's death, whether or not she killed them well beyond what we can acknowledge. But if we're looking at the aspects of her acceptance and what her belief system is in her community might be relying on her giving into this connotation of if they don't abide, then we need to remove. Um, and if you don't agree with that, then you are no longer following our system either, which means you are violating our process, which also means her life would have been at stake. Yeah, because it's like interesting to see because um, some footage came out of her uh, like a couple years ago when she was having, um, or what was it, last year? She was having uh, issues with her ex-husband and she was in the police station uh, talking to the cops and it was just like an argument or something like that and I forget one of them was trying to get the cops to deal with the other and she had her daughter with her and her daughter the one who's missing was like the one keeping her calm and she was like you could see there was like a relationship where they looked out for each other it seemed like the daughter was concerned with the mom the mom kind of was like accepting her concern but it's just kind of interesting like fast forward like a month or two later and then you know the disappearances and some are saying death but it hasn't come to that yet because they haven't found them but it's most likely the case so it's kind of interesting to see how they had that relationship and then you know she whacks her off well more often than not when we look at like cults or you know cult is short for a culture and like when we're looking at cultures different cultures can be 
kind of that, you know, like more recently than not, what we've heard in today's society is that ride or die, right? Yeah. Like, and that's what's come around. And a lot of cultures operate out of that where it's, you know, you hear blood brothers or rider dies or like this kind of like forever sort of concept, whatever term like terminology that the group chooses to use. And if the daughter had bought in with her mother, then the only way out is death. Sometimes uh, you see it a lot in like gangs or like, you know, I mean, gangs is probably the most used term that hides or mass cults but we like to use gangs because it carries a negative connotation. Um, if you're looking at it cult from different aspects, it's like cults are everywhere. It's just how my, like macro or microscopic of a realm you want to operate on. Like societally, we look and go, oh, that's a cult because they're not abiding by a societal norm. Well, what is a societal norm? Um, you know, because like different sports teams have cultures, different bikers have cultures different um students you know like you could sit there and say well they're a group of art students that's a i could be considered a cult depending on how they're operating um you know because it's like if there has to be a buy-in so yeah they, they were a um mormon doomsday cult but they didn't really so they believed in really crazy stuff like uh they're kids or not kids but the um they think people could get like possessed by zombies or something like that and that like the world was ending in a few months or something so they were like uh, they're a really weird bunch but yeah they exist man i mean that's just a part of the world there's a lot of individuals that believe in a lot of different things um you know, and just figuring that out, it's no different than the fact that, like, satanic is still out there. And then we have Catholic, like, a lot of religious beliefs could be identified as cults. Um, it's everything. It's that belief system. And then, like, you have extremists, and those are the ones that we like to talk about the most. Um, but cults are everywhere. So. Other strange factors in the case are that as soon as they moved into Hawaii, Chad opened his first bank account in that state with over $500,000. That's interesting. It makes you think where he gets his money from. He's simply someone who writes fictional books and shows up on a podcast every once in a while. Makes you wonder if there's someone or some people who are financing him. Another strange thing is back when JJ was still to be found with his mother. His service dog was going to be sold. Now since JJ has autism, he has this service dog to help him manage it. Lori decided to try and sell the service dog, but everyone who knows JJ said he loved the dog. It was great for him. The dog was like his best friend and it helped him. The agency that provided the dog for him noticed that Lori was trying to sell the dog and thought it was bizarre since J.J. loved the animal. Lori said he doesn't need it anymore and he won't need it anymore. A lady from the agency told her she couldn't sell the dog and that she'd have to give it back to the agency so they could make sure that other people who needed service animals could get them. But 
The strange part is the fact that Lori said he wouldn't need it anymore. Another strange thing is that shortly after the children disappeared, there was a storage unit in Rexburg, Idaho, where Lori and her brother Alex were found to be putting the children's belongings in and out of the unit, carrying strange heavy duffel bags as well. Coincidentally, Alex was the only other person to come into the storage area besides Chad and Lori. However, Alex couldn't be asked what was in the storage unit or in the heavy duffel bags he would carry out. He would later be killed in a drive-by shooting. The car used was one that belonged to the late Charles Vallow, the same man Cox killed alleging it was self-defense. Lori has been held on $1 million bail. A judge has stepped down since they had been the one overseeing Lori's previous custody case. So where could this go? Some people think this could go into the territory of murder, as some speculate that the kids were killed and their bodies disposed of in Yellowstone. There is no confirmation, but this theory is based off of emails obtained from Lori's niece, Melanie Pulowski's divorce case. Where Pulowski's ex-husband claimed that Chad told her about how people can become possessed like zombies by dark beings from another dimension, such as slugworms and ones deemed outsiders. The only way to free the possessed person's soul is to kill them, and when you do so, it frees their soul from a limbo-like state. Melanie's ex claims she tried to kill him for being in such a state, and that Chad and Lori told Pulowski that JJ and Tylee had become like zombies and possessed. So because of this, this is where the theory that they killed their children comes from. So now that the investigation has opened up in a greater sense, that the Idaho Attorney General is now stepping in to investigate, here's where the case stands. Her bail remains at $1 million. Two of her three lawyers have stepped down, refusing to represent her in her case. Tammy's body has been exhumed and the results have yet to be announced. Yellowstone is being searched for the kids. Arizona says they are looking into opening an investigation into the death of Lori's ex-husband, Charles Vallow. So far, the grandparents, Kay and Larry Woodcock, have been leading the effort to obtain any information on the whereabouts of the children. So if I could just uh, get your guys' thoughts, I guess, on what's happened with the latest with Lori being arrested. Uh, how do you see this guy's, or how do you see this going so far? It's going well. Uh, obviously, we want them where they can be confined and they can't be running off. And uh, both of them. And we certainly want Laurie to be confined because obviously that's the adopted mother of our grandson. Mm -hmm. And of all, uh, of all things, we want to find him as bad as we want to find uh, Tyler. And so we really uh, are glad they're incarcerated, that she is incarcerated right now. And I firmly believe that he will be also that was my next question. If you think maybe charges might be coming down for uh, for Chad, I, I can't see why not. Uh, now I have nothing to base that on, other than my intuition. Uh, you know, I I just feel like that it, it's going to happen. 
and I hope it happens fairly fairly soon. And that's what we're looking for, both of them in jail, and they tell us where those kids are. If they do that, then it's up to the law to settle this from now on. Do you think there's any way she could bond out? I know it's at $5 million. That's obviously a lot of money. Um, no. No? Not unless some billionaire, some really rich person that I just can't see somebody throwing away half a million dollars. Yeah. That's what happens. You don't it's, get it's, it back. It's, it's, it's a cash bond. And it's, I mean, as, it would as be 500000 cash and they would never get it back. So. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't know anyone that I would do that for. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I gotcha. Um, I, I think that's uh, about it. I guess. Um, oh, one thing I did mean to ask: Do you guys know who Lori's maybe like first and second husband was, or what happened to no. that? The no. first husband, I don't know. The second husband, his name is William Lajoya. L a g i o i a. That's all I know. I do believe he's in Texas, but that's all I know. Okay. Um, gotcha. Yeah, I'll check into that. Um, any Anything else uh, you guys want to add? No. Just, uh, just, just find us a kid. Where's JJ? Where's Tylee? Yeah. That's keep, all. Keep Where are they at? Out to the public. Let's find those kids. Let's get them home. And she's talking about... Let me say this. She is talking about this being a nasty custody. It has nothing to do. If that's the case, the only custody issue would be between us and her and JJ. And so why would Tylee, why would Tylee be missing? Yeah. It doesn't add up. And that's just a, a, a story that is just, it's not true. It's just her trying to make things more than what they are. Trying to get the light off of her. Yeah. It's never been about custody. Uh, it's been about finding those kids, finding them, get them back safely, and uh, she knows that. We only filed for this custody because of all the things she's done. Yeah, absolutely. When my brother was murdered, yes, she didn't need to do all this. I mean, she did not need this. has all been just a, a big drama story for her, and just her, her vindictiveness has gotten us to this point. Yeah, that's exactly right. But, um, anyway, so that's it. We got to go. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, guys. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. Thank you. God bless. Yeah, you too. Ever since Lori and Chad got together, they knew their daughter had changed and not for the better. They said if there is anyone out there with any information, call the Rexburg Police Department at 288 2083 five nine three zero 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 or the national center for missing and exploited children they're so dedicated to finding their grandchildren they have even paid for billboards and set up a website in hopes of receiving tips from the public that website is called findjjentiley.com these poor grandparents have been going through hell so if anyone has anything that can help them please contact them through the aforementioned sites. If Chad and Lori are indeed to be found guilty, what challenges may they face in prison? Will there be any threats from them or for their safety? I discussed this with Professor Russell Smith of Springfield College's Social Sciences Department and a former worker in the Connecticut Correctional Systems. He treated pretty much like any other convicted felon. Okay. 
Um, that being said, once they're inside um, of McDougal, there could be inmate justice that could take over. Um, and basically, that could be another inmate who is just so outraged by what they do, so affronted. Uh, they theoretically could be a relative of somebody. And if they got the opportunity, they would uh, kill them, you know, <laughs> or seriously harm them. Uh, I can think of one instance, not really a cult, but just kind of take the point home. Um, a bad guy was evading the police, got into a car wreck, killed a mother and a young daughter. Okay. Guy was convicted of vehicular man manslaughter or whatever. Got inside. First night there, first day there in general population. Inmate came up to him. He was sitting down at uh, in one of the in one of the housing units at a table. Guy said, "You need to get out of here." Inmate looked at him and said, "Fuck you." Took him down, snapped his neck. You know, uh, the inmate was in for murder anyway. He was a gangbanger from Hartford. And, you know, that's inmate justice. So, uh, just a quick question. So is most inmate justice, is it on like an individual level? Like the person has an issue or is it a lot of like, a group thing where all the people are like, Hey, whoever, you know, takes this guy out, gets more respect. And, um, yes and no. If it's a, a gang related thing, you know, if a, uh, Los Salidos goes in and the guys from, uh, Aryan brotherhood or one of the other gangs says, yeah, he, you know, he killed one of our guys or whatever and you take him out yes you'll get a whole lot more respect <laughs> uh but you're going to use all that respect for the next 50 years in prison you know um but that you know that's what it's like officially okay if uh a cult leader, a Branch Davidian type guy or whomever came in. If he wanted to go to school, that's up to him. Uh, as long as he meets the qualifications and there's not a security risk issue with him, he would go to school or he'd go to church or to recreation or, you know, to whatever. Uh, 
you know, we're not biased. You know, we're not allowed to be. We weren't allowed to be. So would, like, there be... So I know in prisons, there's, like, you know, sexual offenders, like, people who molest children, all that, they don't really have mm. a good reputation. They're, like, a target in a prison. Is there something similar for people who, like, you know, murder children? Um... I can't answer that. I, I, I just don't know. Okay. Okay. I, um, the one thing I did look into, you know, since none of my sources helped me out here, I looked at the directors, and you can look these up too in the uh, Department of Corrections, State of Connecticut, and all say administrative directors. Mm-hmm. And I looked under security risk groups and they didn't list any names per se because they don't want to give out that information to the general public. But then I looked under religious uh, services and activities. And people can, inmates, are allowed to engage in private non-disruptive religious practices okay Uh, and obviously we're we're not talking mainstream Catholic Islam Jewish Methodist you know Protestant whatever Hindu that's pretty mainstream stuff but if you were a uh, a Rastafarian or something from Jamaica, or you had some sort of weird cult, you could practice that as long as, and you could get information about that, as long as it met the safety and security guidelines uh, from the facility. A couple of things. One is they would come in presumably you know, being convicted of murder or whatever. So the latest update as of April 9th, 2020, is that Chad and Lori are being investigated for conspiracy and attempted murder in regards to Chad's deceased ex-wife, Tammy. So far, they're still searching for the kids, and we can only pray and hope that they will find them safe and sound and can return to their loving grandparents. Thank you for listening to Countdown to the Rising. And make sure to check out our Twitter and Instagram pages, Countdown to the Rising. Our next episode will be about the Finders, a satanic cult based around Washington, D.C. and the Virginia area that trafficked children for sex and got away with it when it was so blatantly obvious. Tune in next time, and thank you for listening on behalf of the Countdown to the Rising staff.